You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Hello, everyone. Okay. We're here. Yeah, we are here. We're live, <laughs> live at RubyConf, and Julie's upset about her brownie. My brownie got smushed. Oh, sorry. Oh. <sighs> okay. I'll, you can have my brownie. I'll trade you. Oh. I don't care about smushed brownie. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> Before we get into that, how's your conference been? It's been really good. I've enjoyed it. I've been kind of just going with the flow and whatever session I feel like going into. So it's been really good. I kind of appreciated it. And I always love coming to conferences because I get to see all the friends that I made last conference or the conference before that. (laughs) So yeah, it's been really good. How about you? Same for me. Like it was really great to see friends. And I feel like my schedule has been very much go with the flow and been doing whatever friends are doing. And it's so great to be with Ruby friends right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, that's how it is for me. I enjoy being with people, getting out in the community. New city, new stuff to do, new food. If I had to rank it, it's like food, city, people, <laughs> conference. That's a pretty powerful ordering. Where yeah. did you go for food? I went to the Blind Borough. That was one place. I've been all, we went to a place last night that was really good. That was a lot of, just a lot of Mexican food. Nice. Even though I'm kind of used to that because I live in Phoenix and I eat a lot of Mexican food, I'm like... Mm. Wait, how does it Never compare? Enough. It's to... better in Arizona. Oh, all right. Yeah. Hot that... take. <laughs> <laughs> I expect to have, yeah, come at me if you think that's wrong, because I don't care. <laughs> we have better seasoning. There's my hot that's take. True. How many RubyConfs have you been to? Ooh, I've been to three RubyConfs and two RailsConfs, I think, okay. at this point. Yeah, so you're a vet. Yeah, I've been... Gotcha. Or if you count like the regional ones, I've been to a couple of those. And then way Mm -hmm. back in the day, I went to, it's a lot at this point. If you count all the smaller ones, it's been a ton. Yeah. What's your most memorable one? Oh, that is a good question. I really liked, and this is going back a while, but I really liked Steel City Ruby back in 2013, 2012, something. Before my time. Yeah. I think there's something about the smaller conferences and having like a more tight-knit community. But I also felt the same way, like RubyConf Mini last year was an incredible conference to go to. And I think it also has kind of created more of a demand for those smaller conferences. So now there's a bunch of them popping up and I'm pretty excited to go to more of them. Yeah. It's 13 hours. It's 13 hours. (laughs) We're going to go through this again. Yes, we are. Uh, Yes, everyone. I record and I want to know the time. (laughs) Every 15 minutes in 2x speed. Yeah. I'll need it. There you go. Never again. I've been to a lot too. It's been interesting to see how they've stacked up like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. Yeah. But I went to several online ones as well. Those were, yeah, Not quite the same? Not quite the same. It made me realize why I go to them. Yeah. I think the problem with online ones for me is that, I mean, I feel like conferences generally drain me, but the online ones drain me so much more. And it's so like by the end of the day, I'm just like, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like when you're in person... Someone can... I can rally. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, I'm ready to go back to the hotel. But then you'll meet a group of people and you're having fun. You're like, you know what? I can stay out and like right. go get dinner with people. And You get energy from the people around you. Yeah. Even though they also drain you. But you don't gain energy on an online conference. Yeah. Yeah. And there's it's missing like the whole people component, it feels like. Yeah. Because so, yeah, like that. you're in Slack, but it's not the same as being able to like catch someone in the hallway afterwards and mm-hmm. say like, well, what did you think of this talk? Yeah. You can't jump on someone's back on Slack. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could metaphorically. What was your most memorable conference? RailsConf in Pittsburgh. Oh, Was were you amazing. There? I was not. I missed mm-hmm. it, unfortunately. That was 2018 or 17. 
that was amazing. It was my first conference. And like I was volunteering, I was still in school. Like I didn't have broke during that trip, like to try to pay for it, but it was worth it. So that was a great trip. And I'm like, we drove from North Carolina to Pittsburgh. Whoa. That's like a 12 hour, 14 hour drive, something like that. Yep. That's a long drive. Yeah. I thought it would be longer. It was a long day. Yeah. And we did it straight. So no stops. Wow. Yeah. You can hold your bladder in for that long. Huh? Well, I mean, <laughs> other than that, other than okay. that. Um, but th- so that was a great one. And then I think Rails World was one of the best I've been to recently. It was yeah. a ton of fun. Just amazing city. Tons to do. Just really cool. What about you? Hands down, my first one, which I'm late to the game here, but my first conference was RailsConf 2022 in... Portland. Portland. Thank Portland, you. Portland. Yeah. Yes. And that's where we that met. That is where I met both of you. Yeah. And also, I tell a story a lot, but how Ruby for All was born. It was just everything, just the people. And I was in the Scholars and Guides program, and I had a really great mentor there who helped me meet so many people. And I just had such a great experience. And then I was also there to become mini and I had a great time there. I, yeah. I haven't had a bad experience at a conference. So what's it like? So 2022 is your first conference and now you're here and you're famous. How does that feel? I'm not famous. Someone just told you. <laughs> Can I get your autograph? Yeah, <laughs> I want your autograph too. Like came in a year ago, not knowing as many people being newer to the community. And now a year later, it feels like you're way more ingrained in the community. You met a lot more people. Like we're doing the podcast. We've met a lot of people through that. You're in WNBRB. You're doing the book club. What's the difference between your first one and now? Like what's the main difference feel like? I got stuck on the book club thing. And I think you're referring to this book club that I'm doing, but I don't think that people know about that yet because we are planning on having an episode with folks from the club joins. And anyway, so more to come on that, but... So then I got stuck on that and didn't hear the rest of your question. Basically, a lot has changed in between your first conference and this conference where a lot more people know who you are. You're hanging out with the Chris Oliver. (laughs) I will say that the first conference, I could barely say hi to Chris. And this time, I mean, I could have said more. I was just, it was me. Chris has always been an all around great person to just hang out with. But for me, I felt more confident. And I feel less anxious being at a conference. I mean, I didn't show up with someone on hand. Like, I felt like the first conference that I've been to, having a Scholars and Guide program was really great because I didn't feel like I was going to be alone. And this time I was technically alone, but I was able to spot somewhere, no matter where I was in a room I was at or out in the hallway track, there was at least one person that I knew and was able to just start talking. Has anyone come up to you and been, hey, I love your show or like I recognize your voice or something? Have they done that to you? No, not yet. Because they haven't done that to me. They just did to you. (laughs) It's not from my voice, from my name. (laughs) Someone just walked up to her in the hallway and said, are you the famous Julie from Ruby for All? Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. I lied. So I was like standing in a circle Monday And someone was like, you sound really familiar, but I don't know from where. And I was like, well, (laughs) there you go. Could be from this podcast. Yeah. Um, Did they say, oh, yeah. 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 But I haven't had someone come up to me and be like, oh, I love the show. And I'm like, yeah. 
That doesn't happen to me. I was going to say, I was just about to ask you, like, what it's like being here now that you're the steward of everyone knows every on Rails podcast. It's been a staple in the community for years and years and years. What's it like being at this conference now with that, like you went to the helm of that? I mean, it's kind of the same and kind of different. I think one, I just love the Ruby community. And so it's always nice to get to talk to people and meet new people and make new friends. I think the thing that is different is that you know, I'm recording here at the conference. And so that has kind of given me a little bit of an ability to like talk to more people and kind of more people on the show. And that's been really good and really just like rewarding. And yeah, yeah, it's a little bit different being the custodian of this podcast. That's in a lot of ways, it feels it's bigger than me because it's been around for so long. And so, yeah. Well, we're happy you're here. Thank you. Now what we need you to do is do all the other stuff that Brittany did. (laughs) (laughs) Just put it in JIRA and I'll get around to it. JIRA ticket. Thanks to Honey Badger, I have all kinds of sources to back what I'm about to say next. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime certainly should not be one of them. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute that you're down. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy to use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which of course helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thanks to Honey Badger for supporting the show. I think we want to talk a little bit about testing. I don't know your background because you were on Remote Ruby. I wasn't able to be there because I was hiking around Arizona as I do. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah. So I've been working with Ruby and Rails since 2010. I started at work. We were using Rails for a couple of internal business support things. That got me connected to the community. And then I kind of found the sort of testing community and and testing was such a big component of the community back then. And it kind of got me thinking about testing. I've worked in a bunch of different industries at this point. So I've worked in like consumer electronics, billing, security, insurance, tons of stuff, mostly just with Ruby and with Rails. And so my focus has kind of been there. And I tend to be the person at companies that is the one talking about testing all the time. Do you like CI? So yeah, why is I mean, that a why is why was that a funny question? Because she's like, I really like testing. I'm like, well, I really like CI, so I'm like, I'm just curious. I'm like, does yeah. that love extend oh, okay. upwards to like that? Oh, I see it? what you're saying. Yes, I like continuous integration. I like having pipelines that are constantly building, and mm-hmm. I have a lot of opinions about how to structure those things. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I was asking. Um, I was like, does that extend to like the architecture of the CI and that and how yeah. tests play in that? So I think one of the things that can happen is that as your app gets bigger and bigger and bigger, if you're doing test-driven development, which is another thing that I'm pretty passionate about and advocate for, your test suite over time is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the execution time takes longer and longer. And so that becomes a challenge when you push something up and then it takes Circle CI this ridiculous amount of time. Right. So I think in those cases, like some of my opinions are to pick 
There's a couple things you can do. One is parallelization. You can just have a bunch of workers that are executing your tests. That's one way to solve the problem. You can also look at the types and style of tests that you're writing and pick your strategies there. Kind of one of the ways that I think about this is it's very difficult to test every possible pathway through your system. And so you have to kind of know which ones you care about. I don't think the goal of testing is to test every possible permutation. I think the goal of testing is to prevent a big issue that would wake you up at like two in the morning. How do you define that issue? What is a big enough issue to get you out of bed at two in the morning? The obvious ones are that your website is down, your app's down, something like that. When we're talking about code quality or testing related things, I think you should test paths, like you should test the happy path through your system. So you want to make sure if someone clicks the subscribe button that it actually does the subscription. But I also think then it's important to test every, not every error, but every like class of errors. If you have a bunch of different errors where all they do is render the same dialogue, you only need to test that once. You don't need to test it for every possible validation that could fail. Can we go back to where you said parallelize the testing? What what do you mean by that? And how do you do that? So in CircleCI or in other runners, you can specify workers and how to break up the test. So what it'll do is it'll say, you know, let's say you've got 10,000 tests. You can say, well, I want to run this across 1,000 workers. I mean, that's probably a lot, but... <laughs> that's a big... Yeah, yeah. You got it, though. You got it. I was like, wait, what's the math on that, Ben? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's all running 10 tests on right. each worker. So you split them up. So that means that instead of waiting for, like, one container to run 10,000 tests, you could have 100 containers mm. each running 100 tests or whatever. You also parallelize in Rails now, too. Yeah. Yep. Like, so they use different threads to execute the tests in parallel. Yeah. My favorite thing about this is my old Intel Mac. I had a side project at the time. And when I bought the M1 Mac, I literally just ran the same test suite. The test suite run on my laptop went from like six minutes to 30 seconds. What? Yeah. Nice. Just because wow. of the M1. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Can you describe what TDD means to you? So test-driven development is a methodology where you write your tests before writing code, and then you use the tests to kind of drive the design of your code. Okay. So it's sort of formalized as having like this loop called the red-green refactor loop. And so the idea is you write a failing test, and that's your first step. And then you write the minimum amount of code to make that test pass. And then after you've got the test passing, you refactor. So you clean the code up while trying to keep the test green. Are there times where you cannot do that? For example, if you're not creating a new feature and you're maybe fixing a bug or something like that? So I think there are times where it can be a little bit difficult to know how to write the test. For bugs, I think it depends on the type of bug. So let's say you get a bug from Zendesk or whatever, and the customer has given you very clear reproduction steps. You can use that to make a test first, Mm, right? Yeah. In other situations, it might be difficult to know how to write the test first because, like, maybe you have to do some investigation to even know, like, where the bug is originating. Like, maybe the bug presents itself in an area far from where the actual bug is. So maybe you have to do a little bit of investigation first. The way that I like to think about this is if I can't write the test first, I will do whatever I can to be able to write the test. That's sort of my first step. And then I will write the code. And maybe the thing that I do is writing some code, but then I usually will delete the code and start from the test. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, it was like have your journey into TDD because yep. it's like an older concept. It is. It's so, not as popularly taught to our kind of generation of developers. I actually wish it was more popular still. I feel like testing is it's one of those things where I think like anything in programming, it's a skill and you have to build the skill. And I'm very sympathetic to especially with TDD. People will often say, well, I don't know how to write the test because I haven't written the code. And I'm very sympathetic to that because that's a real thing. If you don't know what the test is going to look like, my typical advice in that situation is to essentially what I said before, my, my typical advice is, well, write the code, figure out what the test is, then delete the code and see, like, does the test still make sense? And then start over. But I think it's, for me, TDD helps me get to a flow state. And I feel like I'm not capable of getting to a flow state without TDD anymore. Have you always been test-driven development first? No. Oh, okay. So when I was in school and like learning and even in my first job, it was very much like my first job, they didn't do any software testing at all. Zero? <laughs> like zero, zero. So it was all manual testing. But I had watched conference talks like on YouTube and got really interested in it. And then that kind of put me on the track of like, oh, this is like a really good way to think about writing code. The other advantage is that it sort of, means that you never write code that doesn't have a purpose, which is good. And I think, at least for me, that helps me know when I'm finished, right? Because I wrote all the tests. And then as soon as all those tests are green, I'm done. Whereas I think without TDD, one of the things that can happen is you get to a point where you're like, oh, maybe I'm done, but maybe you're not. Maybe there's an edge case that you haven't thought about. And in particular for big Rails apps or just big apps in general, this could apply to any language or framework. For big apps, having a robust test suite that you can trust, where when, if it's green, you can trust everything that you care about works, means that you can offload a lot of concerns. You don't have to think about every possible interactor to the thing that you're working, or collaborator, sorry, interactor is like a specific <laughs> term, but every collaborating object or every other subsystem or service is going to talk to it. Because if you break it, and there's tests around it, you can trust the tests, the test will fail. I find that I can move so much faster because I just don't have to do this initial step of like, let me look at every possible service that's using this class. I don't believe this completely, okay? This, okay. Is, this is an extreme version of like, because I, I got into TDD for a while, like when I was first getting into Ruby, I was like, oh, this is great. Sending that says I should do it. Mm -hmm. And sending that tells me everything I need to do. So I'm just going to do that. And I never really got into it. But now my extreme version of it is like tests are basically a waste of my time as a talented engineer. Like I should be spending time on the architecture and like someone else should write the test or like not or I don't care about them at all. I'll just write copilot, write all of them. And they're more like a thing I do at the end of my thing. Yeah. What do you say to someone like that? How would you convince someone like that to kind of think about like the advantages of TDD? So test driven development for me is a thinking tool. Mm -hmm. So for me, test-driven development helps me understand the problem. I was working at a company and we would run these like one-time jobs. So it's literally only ever going to be run once. Right. And I would test drive them. And at one point, some people on the team and my manager was like, this seems like a waste of time to test it. And I was like, I don't even understand what this script is supposed to do until I've written the tests, right? So I use it as a thinking tool, as like a discovery tool for like where the edges of a problem are. I think it's interesting that you say that you want Copilot to write all your tests or 
that, that part's true. Yeah, <laughs> because I actually think the opposite. I think that if we are going to a world where AI is going to help us write code, I would rather write the tests as a human being, mm-hmm. treat the tests as an executable spec, and then let Copilot try a thousand different combinations of code to get the test to pass. Because then at least I know if the tests are passing, I know that Copilot has solved the problem that I have. So maybe, true. so can I convince you of that? You know what? I never thought about it like that. But of all the parts of that, the statement that are true, like I do treat tests as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. They are something like, oh, I'm going to check that off. I'm not going to ship the PR without tests. So mm-hmm. Copilot, write these tests. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, cool, they all pass. I guess here's another question. How do you review tests? Ooh, okay. That's an excellent question. So when I get a pull request, I will typically, the first thing that I will do is go look at whatever the ticket is and look at what the problem is that we're solving. I tend to review PRs one commit at a time. So I open up the commit view in GitHub and I click through each commit and look mm-hmm. at, because then I like understand the journey that someone took to solving the problem, which I find it's often helpful because then that helps me make sure I'm giving them feedback. I'm not bringing up something that maybe they already tried right. and then it didn't work out. But then I look at it from almost like a clean room or a red team type situation where I think about like, well, what are all the things that I would want to test in this before I even look at what they've written? And then I go in and I look and say like, well, did they test this? Did they test that? And I'll like do a match. And if there's some mismatch, I'll often say, hey, can we add X, Y, Z tests? Or if they have tests that I didn't even think of, I'll say, hey, this was a good test. I didn't even consider that. And then I often place a higher weight on the test than I do on the code, which is sort of similar to the co-pilot thing of like, I want to trust the test so much that I'm never afraid to ship code ever. That's interesting because this is something I do do. I don't review tests. If you give me a PR with tests on them, I know this is probably wrong. But my thing, I'm like, you're an engineer. You should know how to write tests. Why do I need to review your tests? Yeah. You better write tests. Like you're on my team. You're writing tests. Is it okay to think about your test cases and then do the code and then write the test after? Is that, I mean, that's technically not TDD, but. Yeah. One of the things that I like to tell people sometimes is that I bet you're already doing TDD without writing the test, right? Because the thing of TDD is to think about what the output of the code is and then just write the code to verify that. So if you're thinking like, oh, here's what I would want to test. And then you write the code, you're kind of most of the way to writing the test first, right? Because you've thought about it. So yeah, I mean, I think it's fine to do it that way. It's fine to make a list of the things that you want to test before write the code and then fill in the test. That's perfectly fine, I think. I also think I want to be a little bit clear that I am a test-driven development person and I like to write the test first. I think everyone has a different thought process. And I try to convince people to try TDD. But when I'm reviewing a PR, there's kind of no way for me to know if you wrote the test first or last. Well, that's not entirely true. There are some signals that will tell me, but like... You'll see it in my commits because I'll, I'll commit all the code first and then I'll commit my test yeah. last. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I'm a squasher, so you wouldn't even know with me. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it depends. Like the way you describe reviewing, it sounds like you would like to review my code because I go at the end and like squash things, reformat the commit messages to be a lot... Oh, I love dense, that. I so love that. So that when you're reading it, you can read it the way I would want you to read the commit messages versus the yeah. way my brain is like, undo, redo, this and that. Like I make it so that you can follow it a lot better. We have a similar style, which is like, I make a ton of like draft or work in progress commits. And then before I put it up for review, I will combine commits yes. and change things and write 
Yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah, I'm very big on commit messages. Yeah. Do y'all do this in the command line or I can't conceptually think about all the commits that I would want to combine. And then also, Mm -hmm. I don't know how I would even do that. So rebase, rebase interactively. I have tried rebasing three times and I've needed help getting out of the mess. (laughs) I will help you rebase. Okay. I I rebase everything. Okay. Everything. Rebase is like my most used Git tool. So So we need a pair on stimulus and also on rebasing, 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 there There we go. How would you suggest someone get into TDD? Oh, it would be great if we were doing this a month from now. I'm currently working on a course on a test driving rails applications course. I'm planning to do like an early access thing before the end of the year. It's like not done yet. Like it's still a work in progress. I've only got a couple lessons done so far. So sort of shameless self-promotion for that later. I think another way is to read the test-driven development book. Read Sandy Metz's 99 Bottles of Oop. That is a great practical working through code with tests and like seeing the tests kind of drive the design. I recommend that book to everyone that I talk to. I think it's a great book. So I agree. Yeah. There's one question I want to ask is on a legacy code base, and mm-hmm. I don't understand the tests that are currently there, or like it's super nested or whatnot. How would I approach something like that oh, TDD style? So this is like one of those things where I think one of Rails's powers is that it gives you a convention for how to structure your code. But it's kind of a double-edged sword because what people will do sometimes is they will feel like all of the tests for this model have to go in user spec or whatever. My advice in this situation, if you can find someone who is more knowledgeable about that specific test, is to try to pair with them on splitting the test into smaller test files. You don't have to look at all of the nesting levels all at the same time because that can be really challenging. And it can also lead to a lot of testing bugs where if you're like super far down in a nested tree, you might not necessarily know that something's been defined above you that that is like valid for the current test thing. And there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about there. And I think you could do an entire episode (laughs) just on that. But my starting advice is usually if you can find someone who wrote some of the tests, try to work with them to break it up into smaller files to make it easier to understand so you're not dealing with all of those nested blocks. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I say we wrap this show up. It's great talking to you. It's great to meet you yeah, in person. You too. This has been a good conference. Thank you to all the organizers, everyone involved, all the speakers, all the volunteers, all the guides, all the scholars, all the sponsors, everyone who came together to make this happen. We appreciate you. We love you. And we'll talk to you all next week. Woo! (laughs) Bye. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.